Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And if it's your first time tuning in, Employee of the Month is all about careers. How does one sustain one? How does one deal with all the crap? What do you deal with when you might go broke? All of those things. I can think of no better guest than Tom Colicchio, who started out making uh, sandwiches and cooking. He'll talk all about it. Became one of the most famous chefs in the country, if not the world, has won numerous James Beard Awards and has reinvented himself a zillion times along the way as not just a chef, but a business owner, an entrepreneur. He's the host of a new show. It's a spinoff of Top Chef, where he's a judge. And this show is going to be a competition show about restaurants. It is called uh, Best New Restaurant. If that wasn't a more clear definition of a show's name, my little brother, when he wrote a book in first grade, in his first grade class, they had them write books, and his was called The Bus Crash. And on the flap, and in the inside flap of the book, where they talk about what the book is about, he wrote The Bus Crash is about a bus crash. I think it's pretty safe to say that Best New Restaurant is about a Best New Restaurant. Tom is an incredible activist as well, and so schooled in policy, it's really phenomenal. And it was interesting to see how he wears those two hats, both being so aware of hunger in the world, and then also running these very elite restaurants um, that are delicious. I'm just saying. Although he didn't know his own grilled cheese, you'll know exactly what I'm saying when you listen to this episode. It was taped live at Joe's Pub. It is a little bit noisy, but if you've been in a restaurant, you can deal with a little noise without any more nonsense from me. Here's my interview with the lovely Tom Colicchio. I have my witchcraft uh, food carts here, so I'm glad you're here. And the last time I went in, I didn't have them, so I was wondering if you could stamp them, possibly. <laughs> and so everyone cooks in your family? No. Well, well, well my brother, my brother, uh, my older brother in the back, he, he, he claims he's a better cook than I am, but uh, we're still, the jury's still out on that one. Uh, <laughs> And did did your grandmother or or I didn't realize this was this is your life. No, I, I just wanted I, to I, ask. I, I was just curious. <laughs> I saw it. My grandmother was a pretty good cook. Yeah, um, my my grandmother was. Um, she she made lunch for us every day. We we lived, we uh, lived a block from school and we would come home. But my grandmother was also uh, bipolar. Back then they called it manic depressive, and so um, there were times when we had about you know twelve dishes for lunch, and there were other times where. Uh, you know, there, there wasn't much there. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting growing up. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. She, she, she actually was, was, um, uh, um, w- she was on trials, sort of lithium trials. And once they got everything, once they got the meds all straightened out, she, she was, she was fine. But um, yeah, that's grandma. What I was impressed with, though, is that like, you know, my mom is a phenomenal cook, and I became a phenomenal eater. How do you then teach your kids to actually enjoy the doing of the cooking and not... Because you, you, you ended up learning how to cook and not just how to eat. Yeah, you know, I, I just... Um, I, I loved working with food. Um, I started cooking at home when I was about 12, 13 years old. And it was just something I, I just always enjoyed. It was fun. And uh, what do you have in there now? Just, just stay. <laughs> just stay where you are. <laughs> I'm waiting for the wrap to pop out of there. You know, maybe like cook it or something. Um, but um, no, and so I just always loved it. And um, I, I, I made pies with my grandmother. Uh, great story. So this is why I don't bake anymore. So when I was about 13 or 14 years old, my grandmother, we lived in a, a, a four-story, I'm sorry, a four-family uh, home on a lot. There were two four-families. My grandmother lived in the, in the building in the back. I lived in the front. And so I would go there and I was baking a blueberry pie with her. And... Um, 
made the pie, and she insisted. I wanted to run home and give it to my mother, and it was probably around six o'clock at night, right before, right around dinner time. And she insisted I put it in a bag. And I kept saying, "No, Grandma, I'll just run it over like this." No, you need a bag. You need a bag. Finally, I put it in the bag. And so we lived on the second floor. So I run across the yard. I go upstairs, run upstairs, open up this this blueberry pie, and the whole contents completely spilled out all over this bag. I was just, it was just killed me. And so to this day, I still don't bake because of that, because of my grandma. I'm glad you gave up after one, just one shot. That was well, it. One disaster was enough. Yeah. Um, you said that you will never feel as creative as you did when you were 26. Where did you hear that? Um, I, I did say that. Where I did you hear that? Yeah. I heard it in an interview you did. That was it. That was as good as it got. <laughs> why, why do you, I mean, you've won countless James Beard Awards. You are a phenomenal entrepreneur. You have all these restaurants. You're loved by your peers. Why do you feel now that you have all this both power in terms of, you know, money and leverage, but also achievement of no, I mean, the validation that all these people really like what you do. Why do you feel that you aren't as creative anymore? Well, because back then, when you're 26 years old, there was a, I had my first chef's job in New York at a restaurant called Mondrian. And uh, one person clap? No, no one. Um, only one person's been there. Okay, That's but great. why? Awesome. I mean, it's expensive. Um, no, no, this was, this was going, this was 26 years, no, it was 26 years ago. And, um, it was still expensive. But uh, it, was, it was expensive. <laughs> it was. But, um, you know, I, I was in the restaurant from 10 o'clock in the morning until 1 o'clock at night, and I had no, um, no responsibility at all for running the business. And so I was just, you know, had my creative hat on, and all I did every single day was just come up with new things. And to this day, I still use most of those dishes. Um, so that was, that was by far my most creative period. I think you get older, you get responsibilities, and you're, you're, you're creative... You know, there's, there's only so much time you can spend on creativity if you're thinking about, you know, kids going to school in the morning or if you're thinking about uh, just kind of getting, getting through the day if you're dealing with, you know, lawsuits and shit like that that you have to deal with in, you know, business in, in New York. And uh, so the creative side kind of gets shut down. And it's, it's like, a, it's like a, 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 a muscle that you have to constantly massage. And, and if you're not working it out, you kind of lose it. So I have to force myself to, to sort of put the creative hat on. Is that why you practice guitar two hours a day? Uh, no, no, I, I do that because I, I just enjoy playing, playing music. Um, usually it's an hour in the morning, an hour at night. Um, but uh, no, it's just, it's just something I started doing when I was around 10, then I stopped, started, stopped, started, stopped. And about 12 years ago, I guess, um, my, my, my wife who's here, I think she just walked in a little while ago, um, she was off um, at a, a doing something at, in California at AFI. Uh, she's a filmmaker. And... Um, I had some time, it was my birthday, and so I went out and treated myself to a, a guitar and said, I'm going to learn this thing, and then I started spending a lot of time with it. Well, maybe that's what goes back into the I teaching. I still haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> I'm like, well, we'll see. Um, let's start with your first day job, which is cooking. Um, you started out in a, in a snack bar, a Grand Centurion Swimming Club. Yeah, best job I ever had in my life. So I'm, 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 I'm 13 years old, 14 years old. I'm working at a... Um, a snack bar, a swim club my parents belonged to. Um, I was also a, a you know a competitive swimmer from the age of like eight to seventeen, and so at this club I was I was like I was it. I mean I didn't lose a race, so I was this. So number one, that was that was just great. Number two, the guy who was running the concession lives in the town I live in. It's about a half an hour away. He would pick me up in the morning. We would go buy provisions, and he hired me to scoop ice cream and and work the register. And in about one week, I was doing all the cooking. I was a shorter cook. I worked in a pair of cutoffs. Um, maybe a shirt, maybe not, never shoes. He was paying me $275 a week under the table. And then the best part about it was every morning, I shouldn't say this, my, you know, should I say this, honey? No. Now anyway, you have to say yeah. it. 
So every morning, I, 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 I figured out pretty quickly that, that every time he picked me up, he was, he was pretty stoned. Um, and so about a, about a weekend, I, I got the courage to say, hey, you want to share that? And um, so it was, it, was, it was the best job I've ever had in my life. But getting, getting also, and, and, but, but getting paid $275 a week under the table when you're 13, 14 years old, was a lot, it was a lot of money. So it was, it was the best job I ever had. Yeah. And is that where you perfected your grilled cheese? That was it. Wait, where did you, how did you find all this stuff out? This is, this is like, who do you have working for you? My You're dog. You're a CIA mole. I saw your dog. I saw your dog. That dog comes to my restaurant. Those are some bad reviews. That, those are bad reviews. That was Yelp reviews of, for that dog. Of a vegan restaurant. Oh, well, I'm next, right? No, 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 that's up to me. That's I'll give her a nice big her. steak. She'll like that. Um, but no, so, so yeah, uh, my grilled cheese, and so the method, so the grilled cheese method, and I, I had, I had a, another chef at my house um, uh, last weekend, um, and, and he was making grilled cheese, and he was spreading the butter on the bread. And I looked at him, I said, what are you doing that for? And we have this griddle. And this is how, this is, this is what I, I figured out when I was 13. You don't need to butter the bread because you have a hot griddle. So if you take the butter and put it on the hot griddle, it starts to melt. You put the bread on top of that, and now you butter the bread. You did it very quickly. You put the cheese on top of that, and you have two sides of the bread. So you're making grilled cheese very quickly, and it browns up nicely, and you're not messing around with bread and butter and spreading it on and breaking up the bread. And so, yes, I perfected my grilled cheese at the age of 13. <laughs> See if you could tell the difference between your grilled cheese and um, two other grilled cheeses. But mine's not here. No, it is. We got it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so you're going to have to stand up. I got you. This oh. is what my mother gave me to cook and maybe why I'm a better eater than cook. It says I'd rather be uh, reading Jane Austen, which I'm sure <laughs> fits you perfectly. <laughs> And then um, we're going to get a, um, I'm asked, we, should we get a little bit of a, a drum roll shock? <laughs> okay, I'm going to put it in your hands so you can eat, you feed yourself. <laughs> Okay. All right, that's one. Do you know? Do you know whether that's witchcrafts or or not? I have no idea. <laughs> See, the, the witchcraft one, we actually do on a panini machine. We don't do it on a griddle. So you can't. I think it's better. I think it's better because otherwise you'll feel the bread and you'll sort of figure stuff out. I think it's better if hold I hold on, hold on. Do we need to uh, cleanse I'm the palate. Chewing, I'm still chewing this one. <laughs> Oh, no, they're right here. Okay, good. And you know, when they taste wine, you get to spit it out. Well, this isn't, you know, we don't... The Top Chef, you guys keep eating. We don't see no, you no, spitting it no, out. No, we do, we do. Well, that's behind so, the scenes. We don't some, know that. Sometimes we spit it out. What does what is, what is this keep no, giving you? Because if you feel the bread, you'll be able to tell, I think. It'll be cheating. Between the two? No, no, one more. Hey, Josh, this is where I kill you right about now. He's referring to Josh Charles, who was on our last show. For those of you, you guys are here, give him a round warm of applause. He put me, he put me up to this. So. here tonight in the audience. You, you, you owe me, buddy. <laughs> no, no, you can't touch them. It'll ruin the results.
Okay. Number one. Oh wait, hold on. He's got his shoes. What am I doing? What am I? So you have to tell us which one was from a diner, which one was from the store Melt, and which one was from Witchcraft. The third one had it tastes actually the cheese tastes a little better. Um, Jeffrey, are we using cheddar right now for our grilled cheese? No, 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 no. This is not a show with lifelines. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know where they're from. I just, I'll just say I preferred number three. You preferred number three. Number two was second, and the first one was last. Very first one was probably mine. <laughs> no, the first one was a diner. Yep. Um. The second one was witchcraft. Yep. <laughs> okay. Do I get my card? And the third one them? was made back here. The third one was melt. It was melt. Okay. <laughs> so now that you're running so many restaurants, how often do you get back in the kitchen? Um. How often do I get back in the kitchen? I was at the kitchen at Kraft two nights ago. Um, no, what happens now, so I'll, I'll explain this to everybody out there who, who um, there's always a question, do chefs cook? The answer is no. No, I'll tell you why, cooks cook. And, and sous chefs cook a little more, but when they become chefs, they don't cook. So if you go to see a piece of classical music performed by an orchestra, okay, and the person who probably uh, wrote the music is probably long gone, um, who gets top billing? The conductor, right? Now, you don't expect that conductor to jump in a pit and pick up a violin and start playing, do you? If you did, it'd be an absolute disaster. And so what chefs do is we're in the kitchen conducting. Now, in this case, we, we do write the music. So we, we, we put the menu in place. It's our concept. It's our management style in the kitchen. The way we produce food in the kitchen is something that the chef has their hand on. And then we make the dishes, and then we stand back and let the cooks cook. Because... That's the job of a chef. The, chef. the word chef doesn't mean that you're the best cook. It simply means boss. And so you are running the kitchen. You're orchestrating the kitchen, making sure hot dishes come out with hot dishes, cold dishes come out with cold dishes, and vice versa. Apps come out when they're supposed to come out. That's the job of a chef. But these are the chef's dishes. And so that's, that's pretty much what a chef does these days. That sounds like great outsourcing. I got to get myself a cook. No, no, no. It's not. not you're not outsourcing, but you're 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 still in the mix. But it, it's you're not completely out. Now, listen. I have eight restaurants, and so it would be impossible for me to, to sit Wait, here and eight, say eight, I have eight restaurants, restaurants plus... and fifteen witchcrafts. So it would be impossible for me to sit here and say, "Oh yeah, I'm in the kitchen all the time." It's absolute nonsense. You know it is. So I'm not going to sit there and pretend it's not. But that's but that's that's pretty much how it goes. Now you modestly credit your success with. Um, because a lot of it is just exhausting hard work to be a cook and then a chef, and you did rise the ranks. Um, but you also have, have credited with the timing, sort of the rise in food as a form of entertainment outside of cocaine. No, 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 no. What I said was, okay, this is, this is great. So what I, what I said, and I believe this, that, that back in the, in, in, the, in the late 70s, early 80s, when, when entertainment was maybe going to a restaurant, but you were going to a club, and you were sitting there and you know, putting all kinds of drugs up your nose and drinking and dancing all night long. And, and you can just say I statements for the putting. No, no, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't me. I was a little too young for that. Um, but, um, um, and, and I believe that some, somewhere in, in the early 80s, maybe mid-80s, that entertainment sort of moved out of the club, out of the Studio 54, moved to restaurants. And people started coming to restaurants, and that was the night out. Restaurants became the night out. And I really believe that's when, when restaurant culture changed, uh, you know, for the, for the better. Um, when, when people were actually looking at restaurants as a form of entertainment and not just something to sort of pass the time until you go out. 
How do you feel about when you find a hair in your meal? Um, I know it's not mine. <laughs> and it also depends if, it depends if it's the, the sort of normal type or the curly type. Um, the, the curly type always, always grosses you out. You know, that's, that's not good at all. Yes, I went there. Yes. <laughs> always more. <laughs> One is enough pubes. And what about tipping? How do you feel about tipping? Tipping. Tip often. Tip, tip, yeah, I'm here all night. Tip your bartenders. It's, uh, no, no. Tipping. tipping um, it's just a weird thing that it's like the one business where like that person doesn't get paid by their boss. They get paid by a stranger's whim. I would actually like to do away with tipping. Um, there's been some... There's been a lot of talk, but here's, here's what's going to have to happen. You see, these are people who care about thoughtful things, and that's why they clap for that, and not Mondrian, which is like, great, you have $1,000, you were able to go there. And get no, no, it wasn't $1,000. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, no, the reason being is, and this is what would have to happen. Um, if, if you're going to do away with tipping, um, which I think we should do for a lot of reasons, um, we would have to raise menu prices by about 23%. I mean, number one, now that income is taxable. Um, number two, um, you would have to pay the uh, servers sort of a salary commensurate with, uh, commensurate with what they're um, getting now. And so we would have to raise menu prices by about 23%. Um, but I, I would love to see the industry go in that direction. And there's a few people talking about it now. We did it, um, when I, uh, years ago I worked at Quilted Giraffe. And Barry, so when he opened up Casual Quilted Giraffe, he had done, he did that. But there's a thing called, there's a difference between a casual quilted yes, giraffe yes, and, a, yes. and a formal yes, quilted the, the giraffe. Yes, the giraffe took off the bow tie and it's much more casual. And it was, yes, there, there was the casual was it, quilted giraffe. Was Trust it selling me. giraffes or quilts or? Um, no. Um, it was, it was, he was doing like, you know, grilled cheese sandwiches with jelly beans. Okay. Um, that was the casual. No, but seriously, um, we did it there. And I think, I think uh, Thomas Keller does it at his restaurants now too. Uh, there's, a, there's a no tipping policy. Um, but uh, he, he pays the waiters a salary. And then it really becomes a meritocracy uh, you know, amongst the waiters. So I, I think you end up with better service. But uh, I, I think we're heading in that direction, but it's not going to happen probably you know, this year. But I think it's happening soon. One of the many things I'm in awe of with you is the fact that you were able to become such a good chef and then simultaneously become an entrepreneur. Um, did you have any trading in that? How, how did you get the no, business? No, no, no. I um, the first restaurant, the Mondrian. Um, the guys who um, uh, owned the restaurant, backed the restaurant, and they, I wasn't the, the first chef. They backed another guy, and then I came on. Uh, they were all um, you know, five bankers at Morgan Stanley, and um, you know, I, I, I had to learn how to read a PL very quickly. I had to learn how to make good business decisions. Um, read, read the what? Quickly? A PL, a profit loss statement. I have no idea a, what that a, is. A balance sheet, those those okay. things. Yeah. No, I know the law statement. I just yeah. didn't know the profit one. <laughs> and so, and so, you, you you learn, and you have to stay in business. And 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 that, you know, when Mondrian Mondrian closed because there was a bad business deal, and I'll, I'll I'll kind of illustrate how how bad of a deal this was. So Mondrian opened in nineteen, I think it was like eighty five, eighty six. Um, we they spent about three million dollars building the restaurant. There was a, it was a, a 60, 80 seat restaurant, 20 seats in the, that was the better one, by the way. Um, but uh, there was, um, there was a, a 30 seat private dining room. Uh, the rent was $36,000 a month. Okay. When Gramercy Tavern opened up, it cost us about $3.2 million to build. We had 140 seats in the dining room, 60 seats in the tavern room, a 20 seat private dining room, and we were paying $9,000 a month rent. 
So you, you, you see why one succeeded and one didn't. It was just the underlying business or the underlying lease. I got lost at the $9,000 of rent. I was yeah. like, oh my God. Well, that's, that's the cheap rent. The 36000 was the expensive rent. Did it have a dishwasher and washer dryer? Uh, and, 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 and they allowed pets. They did allow pets. Yeah, yeah, but, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, one thing you are incredibly uh, uh, well known for, and and I'm I'm very excited that you are doing, and and also in awe that, and also sad that you seem to know more about food policy than most of our politicians. Um, and I wanted to ask if you ever considered running for political office. Um, no, I've never considered running for political office. Um, I, I spend a, a you know a little bit of time down in Washington, and, and no, there's absolutely no way I would do that. It's uh, it's 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 not something, not especially in this current uh, environment. Do you feel like you have more leverage um, in terms of pushing, uh, you know, f- for your agenda outside of politics? You no, know, I think I think so. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a politician in my business. I, you know, I'm, uh, I, I used to have a sign over my door years ago that says, "This is not a democracy," um, and uh, I'm a little, it's a little easier now. But but no, in, in business, you're used to you know, sort of setting the agenda and. Uh, people fall in line, and there's there's room for give and take, and there's room for discussion. But but in this current political environment, I mean, you can't get anything done. That would drive me up a wall. Well, I do want to recommend that people um, check out Place at the Table, um, which your wife um, worked so hard on, and you are also in. Um, I, I guess that was nepotism that got you in there. Yeah, um, it was. And it's <laughs> from the folks who also did Food Inc. But I, I wanted to ask now that you have on both sides of the equation, you are so steeped on on. Um, you know, dealing with hunger and dealing with all these issues, and at the same time, you're charging $27 for chicken. Um, how do you reconcile being a, being a savvy business person and also truly valuing, which I know you do, um, you know, caring for people? And like, for all of us, these are questions. How, how does one make a living and, and also um, make sure that it's thoughtful the way that we're doing it? Yeah, I think we charge more than $27 for chicken. Okay. Um, but, but, um, uh, <laughs> You know, we're, there's, there's there's farmers that are growing those those chickens, and, and they're they're outdoors, and they're they're expensive chickens. But no, um, one one has nothing to do with the other. Um, for 25 years, as long as I've been a chef, um, and not just myself, chefs all, all over the city and all over the country have been uh, sort of giving voice to to. Uh, and, and, and people who are less fortunate and are hungry especially. I think that most of us feel that we feed people who can afford it, but we really believe that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a right for everybody to eat you know, good, healthy food. Um, and I, I you know, for that time, was, was very active raising money for organizations like Share Our Strength and City Harvest and uh, God's Love We Deliver, Meals on Wheels, and, and thought I was doing my part. And then when my wife, um, Lori, um, started making the film, um, uh, it, it dawned on, on her, and then obviously, you know, we've had we discussed this every single night when she would come home, um, about what we've learned about, about hunger. And we realized that it was really a political condition. And, and I, I, I say that because, um, or the, the reason why people are, are hungry in this country was because of the politics, uh, and not that we, we produce enough food. We produce enough calories to feed the world, forget about just our country, and yet 50 million people in this country struggle to put food on their table. And we realized that it, it, it wasn't because, again, we, we have enough food, we, we produce enough calories, people aren't able to purchase food. And so you have to look at what people can afford. And it's very easy to demonize someone for saying, you know, going to a fast food place 
and bringing a Happy Meal home to no, their I kids. No, I was demonizing people who pay a lot of money no, no, on no, the no, other no. side. Let's, okay. Let's, <laughs> you, you got me serious now, so I'll, I'll, okay. I got to... So anyway, um, so it's easy to demonize that person. It's easy, it's easy to demonize that person who, who brings the Happy Meal home and soda for their kids. But that's cheap. And when you don't have money, you buy the cheapest calories possible. And so, so nutrition's expensive and calories are cheap. But now we have to look at what our tax dollars subsidizes. It subsidizes commodity foods, commodity crops, uh, wheat, our, our corn, soy, wheat, everything cottonseed in the form of oil, everything that goes into producing fast food or overprocessed food. That food is cheap. And so you have to ask yourself, why is a peach more expensive than a, than a fast food hamburger? And, and then you have your answer. We, we're subsidizing. Our tax dollars are subsidizing this. And it's wrong. And it needs to stop. And so uh, this, is, it, it put, this, this put us right... In, The, the film put us right in the middle of, of, of this debate, and it was right when the film came out also, we were in the middle of a farm bill, and that's where SNAP, or what used to be called food stamps, now called SNAP, um, is, is contained in the farm bill. And so that put us right in the middle of that argument, and uh, it was an argument worth fighting for, and we're, even though the farm bill passed, we, we weren't happy with it, um, and we're still fighting this bill. Um, most of the states, the 16 states that were affected by the SNAP cuts, um, 12 of those states actually found a way to work around them, a legal way to work around them, so we, 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 we so uh, the cuts aren't as deep as, as they could have been. But people are struggling out there, and and food should be right. It should, people should not go hungry in this country, and there's no reason for it. And so that's why we'll continue to fight this fight. So I'm, I'm guessing the price of chicken is not going to go down. Okay. Um, <laughs> Do you have any more Mad Magazines in here? <laughs> well, I actually wanted to share your book because um, I am not a, I'm, I'm not a great cook and I'm learning and I really found your book to be really helpful. Think like a chef because it allows you to not focus on the recipes and more just focus on um, learning the craft. Methods, and methods, yes. It's methods. It's not about recipes. It's about methods. It's about technique. Yeah. So I also wanted to ask you, how did kale get so popular? <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no idea. You know, I, I think someone figured out that it's, it's pretty cheap and it's actually pretty good. And, and uh, I like it. so chefs just went crazy with it. And yeah, it's just it had its moment. It really did. It was cocaine, then food culture, and now and well, the now chicken, kale. the expensive chicken, and the expensive the free chicken, free range chicken, and then the kale, and now but, the kale. Yeah, that's 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 how it's exactly right. Grilled <laughs> cheese were in there somewhere. I was very excited that you have a passion that isn't something you do for money. I think it's always important. Um, in general, for people to do do something just for fun, and um, one of them is play the guitar. And so I was um, thrilled that you generously offered, solicited, and banged down my door, praying that I would ask you to play the guitar. And so I'm really. really... I, I, don't, I don't remember it that way. Now, I, I, so here's here's the conversation. So so so. Just so you know, we ask people to do something that, that most people don't know that they would do. And I said, well, okay, just give me an example. And your example was Gloria, Gloria Steinem. And you said she tap danced and she was really, really great. And I said, well, Gloria Steinem can get up here and tap dance. I certainly could pick up a guitar. At 81. At, at 81, yeah. So, so, yeah, so I agreed to do this. All right, let's get you your drum. the last one. Yeah. Okay. 
Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So, so um, the first time I did this was about six years ago, and I was asked to do a, a late night party during the first food and wine festival. It was at a, a venue across town, um, and um, I, I agreed to do it. Um, and my, my publicist actually put me up to it. And she was singing back up in a band called Milton. And actually, Milton Milton's been on the stage a bunch. Um, great New York band, and. Um, so I said, well, listen, if your band will back me up, I'll think about doing it. And so we got together and, and worked it out. And uh, they came over and worked up a couple songs. So the night comes, and, and right now I'm starting to get nervous because uh, it's not something I do all the time. So anyway, I'm backstage, and the band was on. They were going to do four or five songs before I came up. Um, and my, my son, who was about 15 at the time, he's here now. Um, he, uh, I was backstage, and I'm freaking out. And I said, I don't think I could do this. I, I think I'm, I, I, I just may walk out. I can't do this. It was, it was right around that time my 15-year-old uh, sort of questioned my manhood. And, um, um, I, he's, a smart, I, he's a smart young man. I, I got through it. Um, and, uh, but I, I still get nervous every time I do this. I've done it a few times. But, um, so in advance of doing this, I mean, is there a guitar around here? Here we go. Um, Um, and so I, in advance, can I, can I just have a water real quick? Yeah. Um, so in advance, I, I'll, I'll, I'll apologize to Paul Simon in advance. Um, but um, this, uh, this song, the reason I, I, I decided to do this, um, I guess about three or four weeks ago, I was driving, driving home, my wife and I, and uh, this song came on the radio. And uh, I, I knew it's a favorite of mine. And she just said, you know, what is that song? And... Um, I, didn't, I, I told her what it was, and, and I'm not giving it, give it away just yet, and, but I ended up going home and, and, and starting to, to play it, because it's, it's such a great song. And um, so when you asked me to play it, I was like, well, I'm in the middle of learning this song, so I just might as well play this one. It's also such a treat, because I think that it epitomizes how all of us feel at one time or another, and also why we're so thrilled to be living in New York, and part of that thrill is being able to... Um, work and imagine a better world and that is created by folks like yourself so I thought it was a really perfect film to embody all of the guests this evening now at the end of the song if everybody feels like coming along please do
screw that up. for listening. I want to thank Ian Mazoff for editing this together, Josh Rogerson for doing the recording of the audio. Please do check out our next upcoming live shows. They're going to be awesome. October 29th at Joe's Pub and then December 5th at Joe's Pub. So a Wednesday night at 9.30, October 29th, and then December 5th is a Friday night. Broad City, which is Abby and Alana on Comedy Central, as well as Alex Borstein, who's Lois on Family Guy, Anthony Bregman, who's one of New York's last indie producers. If you like any Charlie Kaufman film, he is probably involved in some capacity. And of course, Wesley Morris, a phenomenal Grantland writer, and Frank Bruni from the New York Times, and so much more. Otherwise, and in addition, uh, you can tune in next week and the week after and the week after that for more awesome interviews. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Bye.